0: Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's
1: Jay. And hey there everybody, welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am your host, Jay Madison. And today I've got sitting across from me the one, the only, Mr. Ron Robbins. He was a little bit uh, out uh, uh, goofing off last episode, so he's back in the studio <laughs> today. How you doing, sir?
0: I'm uh, doing great. It's been a couple weeks since I've been here, as you said. So, uh, sorry I missed you last
1: week, folks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that last episode we did do with... Um, Travis Maddock, that really went well.
0: That was uh, a great interview, and, you know, to really have a person on the podcast with us with the kind of excitement and knowledge that Travis had was really unique, and uh Hopefully we can do more of those kinds of things. But.
1: Yeah, so today you're just getting us, folks. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> no,
1: I think I think we got a lot to talk about, a lot of subjects to talk about, actually. But uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, just want to ask, ask, if I can talk, about the uh, ice cream counter there at Old McDonald's Farm. I saw some Pictures on social media today that uh, you guys did a, a, that looks really nice.
0: Yeah, we've done a a big addition uh, in the cafe area, uh, totally revamped the layout in the cafe area, then added on to the pavilion for seating area, and uh, we're going to have a very unique setting there for ice cream and all the other good things that go along with ice cream like milkshakes and... uh, and all that yummy stuff, and uh, so it's it's really come around nice. I, but I told Nancy and Julie this morning. I said, you know, can we do one year where we don't have a big project getting ready to open, but. Apparently, that's not in the cards.
1: No, it doesn't look like it. And, uh, you know, they they just want to keep you on your toes.
0: Yeah, it's like life isn't boring enough, so we just have to add (laughs) a little excitement into it, right?
1: Yeah, that is for sure. Now, when does Old McDonald's Farm open?
0: Uh, We're going to open two weeks. Two weeks? Um, Two weeks from tomorrow, I, I guess, is the big day, I feel like I have a gun to my head getting everything ready and <laughs> along with going to the field and try to plant some crops and oh imagine that you're actually gonna
1: yeah. farm too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody that's interested you can go to their website which is old has a farm right?
0: That's correct.
1: Yeah old has a If you've never been to it folks, if you're one of our listeners from Out and About Definitely check it out. It is a very unique agritourism and agricultural education destination. About 40,000 people a year go through there.
0: Yes, yep. Yeah, I have lots of visitors. Uh, we're doing some other unique things this year. Uh, Emma Shirley, our education coordinator, has uh, been busy uh, being creative like she always is. And, uh, of course, in the fall we'll have a unique corn maze uh, that always takes on an educational uh, uh tone and uh so hopefully have a great season
1: yeah let's hope so let's hope so and emma if, if folks have never met emma she is just a ball of energy and can talk agriculture all day long and keep it interesting
0: yeah she uh she's really a unique personality she brings it right down to the audience's level regardless of you know where that level is she can talk to uh you know, college professors, or she can talk to little kids and uh, and make it fun and understanding.
1: Yeah, and she's done a great job with the uh, with the uh, online farm tours and all of that. So, yeah, yeah, folks, if you've never been to Old McDonald's Farm, definitely uh, get there this year. And again, their website is oldmcdonaldhasafarm.com. It's just a great agricultural destination, agricultural education destination, just a a great place to visit. And since we're talking about uh, events and places to celebrate agriculture, just want to remind folks the Jefferson County Dairy Parade is coming up on Friday, June 3rd at 7 p.m. right here in Watertown. It'll start right at the Watertown High School. Go down Washington Street into the city of Watertown and end just past the Dulles State Office Building. And just a reminder, if you are somebody that wants to enter the parade, Just go to our website, www.agricultureevents.com. That's agricultureevents.com. And that has all of the information about the Dairy Parade. And there's a very easy form might take you two minutes to fill out uh, to enter the parade. And there's no cost to entering the parade. And it's just a great time. So, anyways, uh, those are plugs for all of the things going on to celebrate agriculture. Yeah,
0: you know, it's it's unique that people can... uh that both live here and travel here to visit, there's a lot going on here in the summertime and agriculture plays a big part in that. You also have your, your work on the side with the baseball team as well, and it's going to have some real agricultural celebrations going on this summer.
1: Thank you for plugging that, yeah. sir. I'll, I'll throw you the 20 afterwards here because <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to bring it up. I don't, you know, I don't mind promoting other things, but I figured ah, I'll just hold on. But, yeah, June 18th, the Watertown Rapids Ag Appreciation Day. And uh, that, uh, I haven't told you this, uh, it, it, it grew a little bit more this past week. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, um, because we're going to do that great foodie race with the the four food costumes. Every game, we're going to have those four costume characters out racing around the ball field. Well, at the Ag Appreciation Day... I have reporters from Channel 7 News wearing the costumes. Oh,
0: God, that's going to be it is. <laughs>
1: yeah, I couldn't believe it. And they volunteered. It was, I mean, just they they said, yeah, can we do this? And I'm like, yeah.
0: Wow, that's <laughs> so. going to be exciting. You know, I I sense a, a real high level of uh, excitement and anticipation here in the community this year around the, the baseball team.
1: We are sensing it, too. The owners and the management staff, myself, uh, we're sensing that, too. There's a whole lot of things that we're putting in place um, to, to create a fun, exciting environment. And there happens to be a baseball game that goes on in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So we're, we're trying real hard to do that. In fact, uh, I just had FFA uh, one FFA chapter and a couple, uh, uh, well, FFA... And 4-H have signed up to do what we're calling now, and this just started two weeks ago, our 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 kids' fun zone. On one side of the, the ballpark, we've got this empty grass area. And the kids are always over there doing things anyways. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we decided, well, we'll just call it our kids' fun zone. And we're going to just have some fun things for kids to do. And then we got the thought, well, why don't we invite some youth organizations in and let them have a little bit of an opportunity to organize some things and promote that organization?
0: Yeah, great. Great idea.
1: One of the FFA chapters has stepped up to the plate. Uh, 4-H through Cornell Cooperative Extension, they picked up three nights of it. And we have the Shriners are actually... Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, because I guess they're not going to be able to have a circus this year. Okay. So we're telling them, come to the park, have a mini circus. Wow. So the Shriners are actually looking at... uh, It's not definite yet, so I can't say when or anything like that, but pretty sure they're going to put on a mini circus in that kids' fun zone area uh, for us on one of the nights.
0: Well, that sounds really awesome, and uh, I think the community is really looking forward to uh, some of these events taking place this summer. Yep,
1: and agriculture is going to be in every game. That's the best part, uh, for sure. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we better get to our uh, get to our important topics. And you know, I I told you before the uh, show started today, Ron. One of the things that I I wanted to talk about today, National Grid came out with a press release uh, just about a week ago now. Uh, National Grid is announcing historic fossil-free plan, launching bold, clean energy vision for New York State. And in that press release, it talks about how uh, National Grid is going to do a whole bunch of things to help New York State work towards a fossil uh, fuel-free future. And in, in one of the uh, items that National Grid talks about, they, they specifically bring up farming, and they talk about renewable natural gas. And that caught my attention, obviously, yep. um, because it's something that you've done some work on with your farm. And they're talking about... Um, that they want to help farms with uh, uh, composting. They also want to help landfills and wastewater treatment plants and so on. But when they talk about renewable natural gas, they want to help develop that the growth of renewable natural gas production from our farms.
0: Mm-hmm. A- have you had
1: much experience with that, Ron?
0: Not personally. You know, we looked at putting in a methane digester a few years ago and uh, opted at the time to, to not do it. Um, the technology has come a long ways in regards to converting manure to, to energy. Uh, taking it a step farther and creating clean natural gas, of course, is another component of that and the technology there is improved. I understand there's a couple projects potentially that are going to happen here in the North Country, uh, and I think the excitement around those opportunities for agriculture to play a big role in kind of this, you know, green energy movement that we're seeing, um, you know, that that momentum is building, and and rightfully slow. I think I think agriculture can play a huge role in that.
1: I agree. I you know uh, it was probably two thousand seven. I want to say we had one dairy farm here in the county mm-hmm. actually start an anaerobic digester. Now they didn't go to the point of producing renewable natural gas, but it was talked about. But they were taking their manure. Uh, running it through a methane digester and converting the gas coming off of the digester into electricity, and it worked to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. There were some real challenges with it um, that they ran ran into, and like you said, the technology then wasn't what it was to what it is today. Correct. Yeah. So, what was what was the big challenge that you ran into? As far as uh, creating uh, electricity from uh, methane from your so, manure.
0: Two big challenges. First and foremost was to put the energy back into the grid. The What the utilities were willing to pay was not enough to cover the overhead costs because we wouldn't have used all the energy that we would have created. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the operational cost, the initial upfront investment just weren't going to be able to be covered by what you could get a return on by selling energy out into the grid. Then the second thing is we bet our cows with sand, that sand ends up in the manure and you you would have to separate that sand out of the manure before it goes into the digester and that technology was just not there at the time.
1: Now Ron, why do you use sand, uh, you know, just for our listeners' sake, why do you use sand as bedding? That sounds, for somebody that's not familiar with, you know, modern dairy Correct. farming, yep. that sounds kind of, wow, sand? Why sand?
0: Yeah, so two things. One, very soft, uh, you know, kind of like walking on the beach, right? You can walk with your bare feet. You can kneel down in it. You can lay down in it, and it's it's rather soft. It's not abrasive. It's... Uh, you know, comforting, I guess. And then secondly, it's inorganic. It's uh, bacteria can't grow in sand. So oh. it's very clean okay. and, and keeps the cows very healthy. So it's both, uh, you know, a fact that, you know, they're, the milk quality and the cow health is much better. And, uh, you know, the fact that it's, it's really comforting to the cow to lay on it.
1: So you know, just to uh, draw a picture for our listeners, so your girls, the cows, are laying on this nice sandy beach,
0: yeah, if you will, yeah.
1: And you have, if I remember correctly, you have misters, don't you?
0: We have in the summertime. uh, We have misters and fans, of course, and uh, that keeps the ambient temperature of the barn uh, down to a level where uh, you know the cows are comfortable.
1: So they always, they're laying on sand beds. They've got, when the heat gets to a certain point, these little misters start blowing a fine mist on them. Yes, correct. And then fans turn on to keep them cool and blow a little breeze over the top Yeah, of them. and
0: that, overall, that cold water and that air movement brings the overall ambient temperature of the barn down, you know, 10 or 15 degrees. Wow. <laughs>
1: So for folks that don't know, you know, those cows, they're, they're, they're living a fairly comfortable life there on yeah. the North Harbor Dairy beaches.
0: Yes, correct. <laughs> but on the other side of that, it takes a lot of energy to do all those things. That's right.
1: Every time those fans kick yes. on. Yes, yeah. That's what people didn't realize as, as I was working with the other dairy farm on this. You know, people were thinking, oh, during the winter time, that's when your highest energy use is. Well, no, not, no, not at all. not at all. It's no. when those fans kick on in the summertime that draws a lot of a lot yeah. of
0: juice. Yeah, the cows in the wintertime, even during really, really cold periods, uh, you know, they generate a lot of heat. In the morning you'll see the heat rising out of the ventilation in the barn. But in the you know, so they they kinda of take care of themselves in the wintertime. In the summertime though, we have to be very cognizant of what's going on out in the barn and, you know, how comfortable the cows are or they just simply don't produce the milk.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. So, focusing back onto the the uh, methane digesters, you chose not to go down the route of a methane digester at the time because you use sand and that eats up the equipment really.
0: Yeah, it actually would settle out in the digester and end up plugging it up over a very short period of time. So because, you know, the sand ends up being heavy and settles out of the manure ultimately, which, you know, it doesn't, you know, it creates problems in our equipment, but we we can manage it in small quantities. You put a couple million gallons of manure in a digester and have it fill up with sand over a year's time. That wouldn't be cool.
1: No, not at all. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, did you get to the point where you saw a certain number of cows as a break even on running a digest?
0: Yeah, that's the other thing. We weren't quite at the size. Uh, you know, at the time, we were only about 900 cows. We're about 1,350 now. We're, we're kind of approaching that 1,500 cow mark, which was more Conducive, I guess, from an economic standpoint, you know the volumes and and the you know the amount of of economic return you're getting out of selling milk basically from the farm, and uh, and then paying down the debt service and the operational cost for the digester.
1: Yeah. Now these days, I've had a couple companies call me interested in renewable uh, uh, renewable natural gas production on farms they'll call me up and start asking me about farm size. And, you know, I'll ask them, okay, what size farms are you looking for? And they're interested in 8,000 cows. Yeah,
0: so you take that to the next level of uh, producing uh, clean natural gas, you've got this additional huge investment, and, and you know, you've got you to size that equipment to be able to, you know, produce enough. To make it pay, so I'm sure that farm size getting up there in that seven eight thousand would be, would be it.
1: Yeah, because you know I'll start to talk to them about the farm sizes we have here in the north country, and they never call me back after that. Yeah, you what
0: know? one thing you're seeing in some parts of the country is uh, in regards to that, where farms are in close proximity, you're seeing farms team up. Right, so you have two or three farms of a couple thousand cows each. Uh, they find a central location and
1: they build a facility. Right, and then they just pipe the manure, manure to it. it. To yeah, it. yeah. I don't know if we could do that here. We do have a couple spots where there's some. Yeah,
0: farms. it would be pretty tough. Southern end of, end of the county, you know, might be able to happen. There's, you know, within a couple miles, there's two or three large farms, but be pretty hard everywhere else. Right.
1: And just you know for anybody that's we're not talking about like drilling wells into the ground to to draw natural gas out of the ground. We're talking about taking cow's manure, you put it into a a digester, a great big huge tank. And as that as that manure sits in there, it's obviously fermenting, it's it's breaking down that produces methane gas, the gas rises to the top. You collect that methane gas off the top of the tank, off the top of the manure, then in order to get it to a renewable natural gas state, you have to run it through a series of scrubbers Correct. Yep. and then put it into some kind of pressurized system mm-hmm. in order to, you know, pump it to wherever, whether it's into a tractor trailer um, or into a pipeline, you have to pressurize it. But there's a series of stages that you go through in order to collect that methane gas and clean it up and put it, you know, to transform it into renewable natural gas. In in your opinion, you're very familiar with the dairy industry across New, New York State. Do you think overall, though, that there is a potential for creating a renewable, a renewable natural gas resource uh, to to help feed into the power system.
0: Yeah, so I think the the opportunity is certainly there. It's like everything else. Um, you know, economics is what drives a lot of decisions in business, and uh, pretty much drives all the decisions in business. So it's it really comes down to. You know, like solar and wind, which is highly subsidized. Uh, how much is is? Are we willing to to put into this kind of effort to bring these kinds of things to fruition? Um, you know, I personally, you know, have for years have really thought. You know, here we are sitting on, you know. Millions and millions of BTUs of natural gas in the Marcellus layer and the Utica layer of shale, and we didn't never allowed fracking. Um, so we have this other source of potentially on all our dairy farms of manure that creates another set of challenges. As it is, so can we use that to our benefit?
1: And I agree. I've always been a big proponent of uh, trying to encourage. The, you know the powers that be into helping farms instead of instead of putting up big wind farms or creating you know all of the solar projects why don't we invest some of that money into working with these farms to to harness that manure resource that's on the farm somehow correct yeah you know I, I think that would be much more beneficial both to that local community. To so the farm, you know, an existing private business, and to uh, the state as a whole to create this energy resource. Because you and I talk about this all the time, and maybe this will get me in a little bit of trouble. You, you know what it is?
0: Nah, uh, so be know. it.
1: So be it. <laughs> um, you and I have both shared our concerns and our conversations about uh, the state's push towards eliminating fossil fuel use. Correct. And it, it, it just appears to us that the whole timeline is craziness that here in a few short years, we're going to be eliminating fossil fuel use, especially natural gas. And, you know, most of our manufacturing operations, mm-hmm. uh, especially food processing, especially dairy processing, they, they rely so heavily on natural gas I don't know how they will realistically replace that natural gas. I, yep. I you know, you look at our dairy processing companies across the state, how do they go completely electric?
0: Yeah, I I don't know how that's the part to me that I just always scratch my head and, and wonder here because and it makes it interesting that Natural National Grid is coming out with this. I mean, they're our energy supplier here in regards to electricity. We all know, you know, how, how much improvements we need, how many improvements we need in our grid system here, how we have to generate electricity from somewhere. It right. doesn't... You know, you just don't plug into the wall. So, uh, you know, how we're going to, you know, push everybody to electric and then at this and put that much more pressure on the grid. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem feasible. It, it,
1: it, no, it does not. It, it'll be interesting to see. I, Uh, I hope they've got a lot. Now, what
0: is it, Jay? In New York City, after 2024, all new construction cannot have any fossil
1: fuel? Uh, No gas hookups.
0: No gas stove, no no gas heaters,
1: no... I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) I I don't know how that's possible. I, I, you know, I'm not trying to be critical. You know, certainly I'm all in favor of being as environmentally minded as possible, but we have to be realistic in our expectations and how's that realistic?
0: Yeah and I you know in a move like this the timeline just seems on so unrealistic like we you know maybe over 50 years technology will come along but you know you start talking eight or ten years here and and it's, that's not very long.
1: What are you going to do? Close down all of the food processing plants? Yeah, I... At a time when we're coming into a, a a time period where food might not be as plentiful?
0: That's correct. I mean, we have so many other uh, things impacting this from around the world that I just don't know how we can set a plan like this in motion and, and keep a straight face about it, I guess, to be perfectly
1: blunt. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't know. You know. Uh, you know. I'm a proponent of nuclear. You know, using some nuclear to meet our electricity needs because that is, you know, a very clean uh, uh, way of generating electricity. Well, good lord, there hasn't been a nuclear plant yeah. built in decades.
0: Yeah, and they're shutting a lot of them down. Right. And now I did hear some good news the other day that uh, um, actually was talking to a gentleman who actually is a steam fitter and travels the nuclear plant circuit doing upgrades and, you know, when they shut down for maintenance and everything. And uh, talking about uh, Nine Mile doing a hydrogen uh, facility there at the nuclear plant. Wow. And uh I hadn't
1: heard that yet.
0: So maybe a little inside news there, <laughs> but uh um you know, I think hydrogen has a has a huge future uh
1: yeah. as well. Yeah. And it, but even with that said, Ron, it, you know, when when you look at, okay, let's say we do build a new nuclear uh, plant in Oswego within the next 10 years and a hydrogen yeah. facility, okay, they're going to produce electricity. Yeah. They're not going to produce fossil fuels. They're not going to produce natural gas. Right. How do we retrofit yeah. all of the food processing plants in New York State within the next three decades? Can't be done. Um, it's not possible. No, no. So what are we going to do? We going to shut them all down? <laughs> that's
0: that's a wonder. It has us all scratching our heads, and uh, you know, not to be critical here of uh, from our utility. We're just being realistic.
1: Right? Well, and, and and I don't even think in this case it's it's National Grid. I'm not pointing a bad yeah. finger. I, you know, I I would love to uh, see Nat- National Grid help us with. Farm-generated renewable natural gas. For sure. You know, that'd be great. So we're not being crit- critical of national grid. We're being critical of this plan from the state that says we're going to start, you know, uh, converting over to uh, electricity for everything within a very short period of time. And it's just not realistic.
0: Yeah, and you you throw, you know, the the situation we're in economically in this country. Currently, you know, it's numbers out today, pretty, pretty dismal economic numbers. It's no doubt we're heading into a recession here. Some people say we won't see it until real early, late 2022, early 2023. Some will argue we're already there. We're already there. Yeah. Come on. And, uh, you know, slowdowns are already starting to happen. Uh, You know, so how do you, you know, where's the money come from to, even if you could retrofit during a time like this, uh, high interest rates, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, I know I took Doc Walton's economic class at JCC (laughs) and I, a lot of those principles have stuck with me all these years, and some of this makes no sense.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a wildlife biologist by my <laughs> education, so I'm I'm way out in left field <laughs> or right field, <laughs> wherever you want to put me. Out in the woods, walking by myself, humming zippity-doo-dah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it just, yeah, it, um, it, it just doesn't make sense what these plans are, and you know, how they're going to be implemented because we're not thinking about food supply, and that's the bottom line. You you do away with our food supply, guess what? You just, you know, yeah, okay, we're going to import it from countries that do use fossil fuels. Well, uh, how does that make sense? Yeah. Load it onto ships. Yeah. And, and
0: Trucks and ships and refrigerated cargos and all these things that use fossil fuel uh, to get it from, wherever it's going to be produced, I guess, instead of, you know, a place like Great Lakes Cheese and Adams. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of natural gas they use on a given day, uh, <laughs> you know, to create heat right. and uh, and cooling and and steam and all the other things they need there. Uh,
1: yeah. H.P. Hood.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: um, Kraft Heinz over in Lowell, yeah. the world's largest uh, cream cheese manufacturer. Correct. Uh, that's a lot of natural gas going through those three plants alone. Yeah, correct. And how do you replace that? Yeah. You better get more cows on your farm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. that's the plan. Maybe they'll buy cows for you just to Well, make maybe gas. I
0: uh um I don't know. That that would create another whole set of headaches. So
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're just not going to win this one. No, no. I, I think we need some bigger minds to to solve these. You know, I uh, you
0: know I've had some conversations. Though. We talk about our three milk plants here locally, and uh, you know I've talked to some producers here over the the past couple of weeks and talking about, you know, diesel fuel costs for instance going up and the cost of transportation and everything. And we are so fortunate here to have three world-class milk plants right in our backyard yep. that we are so blessed as ag producers here and as consumers and local communities to have those here.
1: Yeah. You you're absolutely right. Share with the listeners why why well, are we so blessed? Why is that so important?
0: Well, we have, I mean, first and foremost for the dairy farms here, it's its a market that's close by. It's uh, close proximity, which reduces transportation costs into those plants. Uh, those plants all create jobs and a lot of ancillary jobs. Uh, you know, we had our economic impact study here and that talked about that here for agriculture. And I think one was just out for Fort Drum here recently. And that's a topic for another day, Jay. But you know, the fact that we have those manufacturing facilities here and the ability to produce that food right here in our local communities with local jobs, mm-hmm. um, that's a big deal.
1: It's a 1.7 billion dollar yes. economic impact for Jefferson, Lewis, Oswego, and St. Lawrence counties. That's how big a deal it is. Yeah. And absolutely. and, and that's why, that's yeah. why. Well, sir, we've, uh, boy, we've, uh, we blew through that. We blew James. through that. Keepers. <laughs> Any, anything else, uh, that you wanted to mention, Ron, real quick? Before no, I
0: no. I just, uh, hope we warm up here a little bit. We're all getting ready on the farms in the county here to plant seeds. Uh, spring is a time of hope and time of renewal. And, uh, we, we see it all around the countryside. Uh, certainly for listeners out there, uh, be patient as uh, farm equipments out on the yes. highways here please and yeah, very uh, important we're mindful of of you know the delays we may cause you and we try to limit those as much as possible and and uh, let's all just do our best to to coexist together here during a busy time of year
1: absolutely couldn't have said it better myself uh, that minute that you think you're gonna save by Pushing yourself around that farm equipment, eh, just relax, be (laughs) stress-free, and wait until the safe opportunity to pass. Because they're not going to move over because then they can get in trouble. So you just have to deal with it, folks. Be patient and be safe. Well, all right, folks, we're going to wrap up. Ron, thank you very much. You're welcome, Jake. And uh, folks, uh, just in case you need a reminder, uh, don't forget uh, Farm Bureau is the grassroots voice of agriculture here in New York State and across the nation for that matter. If you're not a member, you should be. Uh, You can go to www.nyfb.org. That's nyfb.org. To become a member of New York Farm Bureau. Well, that's a wrap, folks. You all have a great time and stay out of trouble and eat lots of food. Yes, eat local. And uh, we will talk to you next time right here on J. Madison's Rural America.
0: Thank you for tuning in to J. Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.